church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, where we are continuing our series that we're calling Gospel Culture, where we're looking at what it means to be a people. Uh-oh. Is it too close, too far away? There it goes. A little audio technical difficulties. That's okay. Where we're looking at what it means to be a people who center our lives on Christ and the cross and his resurrection and how that permeates all of our life. And so what we're going to see today in one of my most favorite passages in all of scripture is Philippians 2, 1 through 11, where we're going to see a, a, a gospel culture in order for it to take root into our lives and into the lives of us as God's people collectively together we are to reflect Christ in our attitude and our actions. And we're going to see that displayed beautifully and majestically in this passage today. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this, uh, this letter to this church that he helped plant years ago, uh, and he's writing them in prison in Rome. And so he's writing them to encourage them to keep on and to continue in the faith and to advance the gospel because it is worth it and Jesus is worth it and his mission is worth it. So I'm going to read the text and we'll jump in. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation from the spirits, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Church, everyone here in this room has a mindset, has a way of viewing the world, has a, has a lens by which we see everything and interact with everything and everyone. It's our worldview, it's our mindset, it's the way we see things and think about things. And most people in the world in which we navigate in, in the world in which we live day in and day out, our default sort of maybe even sinful tendency is to live life in this manner. It's to get more, get more, get more, get more, acquire more, have more, and then uh, build some walls around it so no one can get it from us. That's sort of our default in our own flesh way of living our lives, and if we're not careful, we just sort of tip into that by default is to get, 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 get more control. Maybe uh, for you, maybe it's more pleasure, more leisure, more money, whatever it is. We have these things that our hearts and minds are drawn toward that we just want to get. And the mindset that's being offered here to us in Philippians chapter two is not one of get, 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 but it's completely opposite. It's the gospel way. 
It is give, 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 give. Remember, Paul's writing this church. He's, in, he's encouraging them uh, to look at Jesus and the life of Jesus, to consider Jesus in both his attitude and his actions and to pattern their lives after their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That they would order their lives, that they would order their minds and their actions, their affections and their uh, walking through this life after the life and ministry of their risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's encouraging them to adopt the cross as their central outlook on life. The cross of Christ would mark their life, would mark their, their mindset, and it would mark their culture as a people together as Christians moving through this world. Why? Because Jesus came to give and to give and to give and to serve. And so we look at this passage, and specifically down in verse 6 to 11, it's considered by many scholars uh, that study and, uh, and look at the scriptures to be an early hymn. It's considered by many scholars, by most scholars, to be an early hymn, or even better yet, an early creed that the early church would recite, and they, they would have known, and they would have talked about, they would have maybe sang together or chanted it together to remind each other as the church who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And Paul possibly penned this creed or hymn himself. Maybe he adapted it. That's something that would have been familiar to the early church that would have been said together over and over again. Or maybe he borrowed it all together and he embedded it here in his letter to these people as they were familiar with these words. It doesn't really matter where exactly it came from, but the beautiful thing about this early hymn, this early creed that would have been known by God's church is that the structure of it and the way in which it's written is so concise and so beautiful and masterfully written in that it, it, it begins with God in eternity past and it ends with God in eternity future. In eternity past, it begins, though he was in the form of God. Did you notice that? And then it ends at the very end of it, every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. It ends with the glory of God and eternity past and the glory of God and eternity future. And then it talks about the life of Jesus all in the middle. And it's this beautiful creed, this beautiful hymn that Paul is encouraging this church to live their lives and pattern their lives after. It's this masterpiece. And it's what's known as, so if you want to dive into the literary structure and why most people believe that to be so, not just because it follows uh, that order of events, is that it's written in what's called a chiastic structure. It's a very interesting way in the literary form in which it's written, a chiastic structure. These are very common in Hebrew literature. And so Paul picks it up, though it's uh, Greek literature, he picks up the same structure uh, of these verses that he's building this beautiful idea. And a chiastic structure is this uh, wonderful thing that has at its center the crux, and then it, it almost mirrors one another on either end of it. Think of it like a V. So it just starts up here, and then it goes down, 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 uh, kind of the, the apex, and then back up. And that's what Philippians 2, 6 through 11, is essentially doing. It's this beautiful collection of verses, and it goes all the way down to the cross and crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then all the way back up to his exaltation and glory forever and ever. 
and it's carefully arranged, and all the words matter, and all of their detail, and it's this wonderful collection of verses, and we need to keep in mind why we have these collection of verses, why this is written. It's not written to stimulate argument. He's not trying to convince. He's not trying to uh, win some scholarly um, defense here. He's writing this to this church, to you and I, the word of God, to stimulate our adoration and our emulation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to move our hearts, affections, and desires to know more of who Jesus is, to know more of what he's done, to have our affections stirred to say, this is wonderful. And then in the end, to have our actions move in step with what the Lord Jesus has commanded of us and even modeled for us. So that's what these passages should do as God's people. It should lead us to adore the Lord Jesus and lead us to emulate the Lord Jesus. And that, church, is how we become united together as we adore Jesus and we're, uh, and we're moving in step with how he has called us to not just get, 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 but to give and to serve and to love. We grow together in a gospel culture with Jesus at the very center of all that we're doing. So Philippians 2 is this wonderful, compelling picture of the example we need to follow, and Paul is painting this picture. Now, don't hear me say that Jesus is only our example. I'm not saying he's only our example. I'm saying Jesus, of course, yes, as we've read through this, Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our substitute. He did what we could never do for ourselves. He imparts to us eternal life, but he's also, yes, an example to us as believers of the life that he lived. And the life that he moved through and how he interacted with people, how he loved and served those around him. We cannot do this perfectly. So I'm not saying Jesus is our example, so you better do it right or he's going to be mad at you. No, Jesus is our example as Paul is spelling out for us today as he tells us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, meaning have this attitude in mind so that you can live this out. We can't do it perfectly, no. But he gives us the power by having the Holy Spirit with us as we move through this life to actually live these things out. He gives us the power to do this. By his death and resurrection, we have the power to actually live these things out and move in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, as he told us earlier. And he gives us this example this life of selflessness as we advance the gospel in our generation. So this week in our calendar, this is our fifth Sunday. Um, And so we moving forward as a church, we do this in our children's ministry. We call it Mission Sunday in our kids' ministry where the kids learn about uh, missionaries that we support overseas and they pray for them and they write letters to the Sanders family. And we thought moving forward, we're gonna bring fifth Sunday into uh, our whole church. And so we're calling Fifth Sunday from here on out, here on out uh, our Mission Sunday. And so at the end, we're going to hear about some people. Uh, we're going to hear about the Sanders who we support. We're going to hear from an area Young Life director who's covenant member at our church that are giving their lives to see the gospel move forward, to preach the gospel, to live in a selfless way, to see um, students in our community and people from around the world embrace and love and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we want to cultivate in our culture, in our lives as a church, this idea that the gospel is something that is permeating here in our midst. And as we move forward, it's spilling out into our community. And we need to remember and be reminded on Sundays like this that it's not just here, but even across the globe to people that don't know the Lord. And we have people that have moved their entire lives to see the gospel made known to unreached peoples. And so we want to connect our hearts and our lives to that which God is doing locally and globally. So fifth Sundays are going to be mission Sundays. The kids are doing that. You'll get an email after this today. We're going to hear from a few people of how we can connect with these people and these ministries that we want to highlight moving forward in the life of our church. And so we're going to look at three things today. And then we're going to hear from some practical examples of people living this out and their calling and ministry in our midst. Number one, we're going to look at the mind of Christ. Number two, we're going to look at the humility of Christ. And three, the exaltation of Christ. So first, the mind of Christ, verses four and five, Philippians two. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Other translations for this word mind, um, I believe the NIV translates it attitude. So have it's the same thing. Have this attitude in you. Maybe that's a little bit easier for us to grasp. Have this attitude in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's what it means. It means as a Christian to look to the mind and attitude of Jesus and make that your attitude and mind. Look to the mind and the attitude, the, the, the thoughts of Christ, the attitude of Christ, meaning how he lived and as, we, as he's revealed in the scriptures, make that now your mind. Make that now your attitude. Make it yours. Literally translated, uh, this among yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus. So as we take the mind of Christ, it's not for just satisfaction, it's not just for curiosity to think, I wonder what it would be like to live a little bit like Jesus or to have the mind and attitude of Jesus. It's not for curiosity. It's not to satisfy a wonder that we have about what if. It's for the reformation of our lives, that we would take his attitude, his mind. Our, our, our mind would be renewed, as it says in Romans. We would, we would take out all the things that are not of Christ, and we would take the mind and attitude of Christ on our lives so that we can live it out in the world which we live and operate in. And we can do this not out of our own power. It's like, oh, well, yeah, let's just do that. We, we are able to do this because as believers in Christ, we are united with him in his death and resurrection. And we can now have access by the Spirit to have the attitude of Christ as we live the life that we live. As a mom, as a student, as an employee, as a friend, as a husband, as a wife, as a brother, as a sister, as a body of believers, we can have the mind and attitude of Christ with one another because we're united with Christ. Jesus is being presented here as the example that we are to live in. We are united with him in our attitude and as we go down in our actions. We're to reflect Christ in our attitude and our actions. And this is also a cultural piece here. 
It's a gospel culture. The NIV translates this passage in this way, which I really like, which I think gets to not just an individual calling, but a collective calling as God's people. The NIV says, in all your relationships, have this mind among yourselves, meaning the plural dimension of this, the collective nature of this. So Paul's not saying, in your private life, have the attitude of Jesus. Like when you just consider Jesus, when you're having your quiet time in the morning and nothing bad has happened yet and you're just sitting in your chair and it's perfect, you got your cup of coffee and maybe you got some cool music going on, you're just meditating and you just got the mind of Jesus and it's just going wonderfully because no one's there to bother you, no one's there to uh, like interrupt you and uh, you got up extra early so the kids aren't gonna come in and just mess this whole thing up, you got a nice candle going, whatever it is for you. It's not just that, that it is that, but it's collectively together that we would have the attitude of Christ in all of our relationships. That's where it gets tough. Because unfortunately, not everyone thinks like you and me, right? That's, that's where conflict comes in. And he says, have this attitude among you. If you get dripped on, it's okay. It's just part of the building. Uh, we're, we've got, we're moving on to greener pastures here in the next few months, so just deal with it, right? Um, we can suffer a little bit, get a few drips. At least we're kind of dry. So he says, have this attitude. He's saying as a community together, we should have this attitude and as the corporate mind of Christ together collectively. That's a gospel culture. Paul's encouraging this church to lean into this. And then with that in mind, we, we are led into this wonderful hymn, this wonderful creed, this new section. Um, and I want us to remember to understand this passage, like I mentioned before, it's done in this chiastic structure. Think of a V like this. I should have made a chart, but I can't draw and I don't know how to work any of the programs on the computer to do that. Um, so the, a V like this. Well, just use your imagination. We can still do that, right? Um, so right up here, as he begins in verse six, you have the preexistent glory of God with Jesus. And then you have Jesus laying aside his glory as you continue in verse six. It's called renunciation. He remove, he lets go of his, his glory. He was here, he lets go of his glory, renunciation. Then you have incarnation, where Jesus puts on flesh. He takes on the form of a human. And then you go down into this feet, all the way down, the key passage in verse eight, where he is crucified. His flesh is placed on a cross and nailed to it. And then we go back up and he goes and he's the name above every name because of his crucifixion. And then we keep going up, and as a result, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord to the eternal glory of God the Father, all the way back up. It is like a systematic theology in a very short, just amazing few verses that you can cling to and you can hold on to and you can remember and you can know uh, wonderful truths about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he will do in the future. So the life of Jesus, let's unpack this. Verse six, humility. Though he was in the form of God, this is all the way up. He was in the form of God, the very beginning, eternity past. He did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto. There's a lot of theology in here. We could stop here and preach a whole sermon on, on this. But essentially what this means is that Jesus did not just start to exist. 
Jesus was not made. Jesus was not, he did not just appear on the scene. He always existed. He was in the form of God. It means he was in the very beginning. He was the nature of God. He was the very essence God. God and Jesus in eternity past, there forever. This idea, this theological understanding of Jesus and God at the very beginning, he was never made, he was never created, separates us from a whole host of cults and other religions about the thinking of Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. He was not made. John 1, 3, without him was not anything made that was made. He made it all. He's over it all. He's ruler of it all. He was always there. Nothing that was made ever happened outside of his rule and reign. He was not created. He was in the very nature, form, and essence, God in eternity past. That's Jesus. And next we see Jesus, though he was fully God in all of his glory in eternity past, never created, always was, In fact, even in John chapter 12, if you read that, when he's talking about Isaiah, it says when Isaiah says, holy, 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 he saw actually Jesus' glory. He had that glory, the glory that Isaiah talked about, and yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. Equality with God, he's equal with God, but he emptied himself. And the text shows us How wonderfully amazing, generous, and selfless the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ is and was. Though he was God, he did not hold on to it. He did not cling to it. He did not live to get, 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 get. He let go. He gave and gave and gave and gave. He let go in order to give. He had every right, the Lord Jesus, in glory, always was, always will be, to remain in glory, to remain seated at the right hand of the Father. He had every right to place us, you and I, uh, sinful and separated from God. He had every right to put us into judgment and separation from God with no hope whatsoever because of our choices and our actions against this holy God. Yet Jesus, in his radical grace, did not hold on to that. He came and he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave and he let go. That's renunciation. He let go of that glory and came. The passage shows us in these amazing ways. Some theologians have helped me craft this and I just thought it was beautiful. I was almost moved to tears uh, thinking about this, reading about this, but it juxtaposes Philippians 2 uh, with Adam at the very beginning in the garden. That Jesus conquered and and Jesus uh, succeeded where Adam, the first Adam in the garden, failed. Listen to these amazing thoughts. Adam was made in the image of God. Jesus is the very essence God. Adam wanted to be like God. Jesus, who was God, was made in the likeness of men. Adam, who wanted to exalt himself in the garden. Jesus empties himself. Adam, who was discontent being God's servant. Jesus took the form of a servant. Adam arrogantly rejected God's words and disobedience. And Jesus humbly submits to God's word in perfect obedience. Adam succumbed to temptation 
when it came his way. Jesus overcame temptation and crushed the tempter. Adam brought the curse on the world. Jesus took the curse from those who believe by faith. Adam was condemned and disgraced, and Jesus was highly exalted by the Father. Church, we were in desperate need of a second Adam, and he came, and his name is Jesus. You and I need Jesus. We need him. The Bible says that you are either in Adam, the one I just described, or you are in Christ. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Um, cling to this. Let your heart marvel in what he's done. If you're a parent, teach this to your children. They need Jesus. Teach them Philippians 2. Make sure they understand who Jesus is. If you are not a Christian in here today, if you got drug here or you come here every week and you don't think and believe any of this stuff, this is all we're talking about. This is why we gather. We're, we're calling you. I'm pleading with you to look to Jesus. He is your hope. He is your hope. He is the Savior. He is the one we need the most. Secondly, incarnation, verse 7, as we go down. Incarnation means flesh. So we celebrate at Christmas the incarnation of Christ. It means flesh. It, remain, it means Jesus in the incarnation remains all that he was, yet became what he was not. So he did not give up his divine attributes. Rather, he took on that which he was not. Man and flesh and those two natures now in Christ remain forever. So he took on that which he was not. That's the incarnation. But he emptied himself by taking. That's an interesting way. He emptied by taking on. Not letting go. He emptied by taking. So it's an interesting theological thing we could spend a lot of time on. But he took this new thing on. He didn't lose all of his divine attributes. He still has those intact, fully God and fully man. He took on flesh by becoming the form of a servant or slave, being born in the likeness of men. Tozer says it this way, he veiled his deity, but he did not void his deity. Fully man, fully God. And he laid aside his preexistent privileges and he entered into that which he created. And he became something, a servant, a slave. And he took upon himself a mission, an assignment. And in Mark 10, 45, he says he did this mission. This is what it was. He came not to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So again, Jesus is giving us this example of what it means to live a life on mission for him. An example of our calling as a believer not to be served, but instead to serve and give away. Wonderful, but difficult. And now we keep going down in this chiastic structure. We saw pre-existent glory, renunciation, incarnation, and now at the very bottom, crucifixion the apex of his humility. 
the most mind-boggling thing in all of creation. In being found in human form, the incarnation, he humbled himself even more, the creator, the one that made everything, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a Roman cross, tortured. So Jesus humbled himself. His whole life was one of humility. I mean, if you read the Gospels, where he was born, Bethlehem in a barn, what we would call a garage, in humility, lives his first 30 years. We know almost nothing about his life except for a few interactions in total obscurity. The son of God, in humility, he lived. And then he lives his life, the rest of his life that we know before this crucifixion, ministering primarily to 12. And then when it's not the 12, calling out the religious pomp and ministering to the least and the lost and prostitutes and criminals and thieves. And then he's put on a Roman cross on the side of a road to die for insurrection. His entire life is humility. He's marked with humility. And it's seen most gloriously at the cross. And catch this. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself. No one humbled Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself so that you and I might have eternal life. No one can stand over Jesus and humble him. We don't look at this text and pity Jesus because he was humbled. We look at this text and we rejoice because Jesus humbled himself and now you and I have all the benefits of that crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection are yours and mine in faith through belief in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That is glorious. And we are reminded that we too are called into this very same mindset, which is ours in Christ Jesus, that we would humble ourselves. This is hard to do. Um, It's an action word. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Luke 18, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus did it. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? So that you and I might live. Church, the call is to marvel at his humility and that we would have his attitude in it so that we can now have his actions as we live with one another and with the world outside. Um, that will make a big impact. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, I think I've quoted him the last couple times, forgive me, been learning a lot from him. This is in his book, Miracles, chapter 14. He quotes this amazing passage. I love Lewis's way with words uh, as he's talking about the humility of Christ. I'm gonna read it because I think it paints this wonderful picture of the humility of Christ. Lewis says this about Christ's humility. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, 
down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still in the womb, ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and the seatbed of the nature he created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower and lower to get himself underneath some great and complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift, and he almost must disappear under the load before he incredibly strengthens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Or one may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down, down through the green and warm water, and then back in, in the, into the black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then up again, Back to color and lights, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hands the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. That's Christ for you and I. Praise God. He went down, 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 down to bring you and I up, up, up with him. And the result of this amazing humility, verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Could be translated super exalted him. There's no higher exaltation that can be written of, that can be described. No one is exalted like him. He is in a class by himself. God has exalted him, the humble Jesus. No one like him is now the exalted Jesus. No one can compete. <clears throat> Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, we're going up and up. Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The idea here is he is the cosmic Lord of all. And we will give him glory forever and ever. He is exalted over all. He is above all. He is ruler over all. He is in a class by himself. And this wonderful marvel that we know, uh, the wonderful thing about this is that this Jesus that we've just read about knows you. He knows your name. And we know him. He's personal. I mean, that's amazing right there. He knows us. And the text says that every tongue will confess. Some in despair and agony. That don't know him, that have run from him, that have not bent a knee to him. And some with humble joy and celebration. Every knee will bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth. The picture here is wherever there is a human being, you cannot hide from him. You cannot hide from the, the glorious one, Jesus, that will forever reign and rule, that made all things, that made you. You cannot hide from him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every tongue that confesses that he is not real today will one day face to face with Jesus in, in fear and trembling will confess that Jesus is Lord. 
and every knee that will bow to those that know him by grace and humility and humble adoration will confess he's Lord. We don't deserve it, but he is Lord of us. History, this, this teaches us history is not a random set of events as the scriptures are unfolding and we understand what they're saying. It's not a treadmill that just goes round and round and round on repeat. History, church, is going somewhere and has this at its apex. Jesus is Lord. It's headed somewhere. It's going somewhere. It is not random. It is not uh, some... Uh, cosmic accident, it's not you're just kind of caught up in it and do your very, it's, it's headed somewhere and it's going somewhere and it's the point is this, the end result is our last statement, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what humility looks like, church. It looks like living your whole life to the glory of God like Jesus lived. The attitude of Jesus and the actions of Jesus are now ours in Christ Jesus. Why? For the glory of God the Father. And it makes ripples and inroads into our relationships with one another and the relationships outside of these walls together. The more we adore him, the more we think on this and cling to this, the more we become unified in what we're to do and how we're to love one another. And the more our minds will be set on heavenly things, not earthly things. And the more our hearts are aligned with the very mission of God in this world to proclaim the good news of this one that has come that can bring life and joy everlasting. This is the fuel of the mission of God, making Jesus known so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So today on Mission Sunday, I want us to hear from a couple folks. Um, the first is gonna be a video of Jill and BJ Sanders who are ministering in Papua New Guinea, taking the gospel to an unreached people group. It's a, a couple that we support. We send care packages to. Many of you support them financially and we love them. And I want you to hear an update from them and the work that they're doing in the bush to be a part of this work, of having the name of Jesus be proclaimed amongst people that do not know him so that they can confess Jesus as Lord with their lips as well. Let's hear from the Sanders now. Hi, we're the Sanders. I'm Jill. And I'm BJ. And I'm Olivia. I'm Sophie. I'm Graham. And we're the Sanders. Yeah, we're your missionaries in the Wantakia tribe of Papua New Guinea. And as you can tell, it's very remote. This is a very hard place to get to. There's no roads out here. Um, we come in on a helicopter. And so it's super remote, and the gospel never came here either. Uh, it was an unreached people group, which means there was no churches, there was no Bibles, uh, there was no way for, here, for them to hear the gospel unless missionaries came here. Yeah, so when we came here, um, we started learning the language, and there was no written language, so... If you want to know how we learn the language, you could ask your kids, as our kids taught them how we learn the language today in Sunday school. So you can watch that. But it took us a few years to learn the language. And then after that, we started working to create an alphabet to teach the Wantakians how to read. Um, I'll show you a little book right because here. Because there was no literacy here before. There was no, yeah. no and language if, written. If, if we want them, you know, reading God's word, they need to be able to learn how to read and write. And so, yeah, we um, are... Tomorrow, actually, we're starting our fifth literacy class, so that's really exciting. 
there's just every single year there's more and more people learning how to read and write in their own language. Yeah, and so along with teaching them to read and write, we started translating God's Word. Uh, we've translated some so far. It's a huge process, but um, here's, here's what they have so far. This is a little booklet of Romans. Um, this one here is our booklet of Ephesians. And so as we're translating it, we're printing it off and giving it to them. And one day we will print a whole New Testament, Lord willing, and give that to them. And so also we have the privilege of teaching. Uh, we're here to make disciples. And so we taught them for the very first time, the gospel in their language uh, in 2020. And so the church was born uh, for the very first time in the Wantakia people group, the church was born. And so also we have continued teaching um, as we shared through the gospel. Now we've gone through the book of Acts and you know the church was born and they're learning how to function like, just like the church did. And now we're going through these letters written to the church with Ephesians and Romans and we'll continue doing that. And um, yeah, we want to continue discipling them too. Uh, we want to do 2 Timothy 2 too. We want to see faithful men raised up who will teach others when we're not here one day. And so we want to continue to disciple them for when we're not here. And um, it's all because of the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples and teach them everything he taught us. And so we heard that and we, we, we also heard Revelation 5, 9 where it's going to happen. Every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be around the throne one day worshiping Jesus. And our family just heard that. And um, Jill and I heard that as college students. And just we just knew we had to be a part of God's work in the nations. And so we want to tell you what's coming up next for us. Uh, we've only reached one village so far, and there's nine other villages. And um, so we want to see the gospel go out to those other villages too. So that's a huge thing we want to see happen. And then Belolo, we to talk about that. Yeah, um, you know, like BJ said, we're out here in the middle of nowhere, and so um, a lot of the men have actually wanted to go to town and get jobs so that they can make money, and a lot of them don't come back, and a lot of them do come back, and they bring money back for their family and pots and different things that, you know, you can't buy here. And so it is a good thing, but it's really sad because a lot of our believers actually went to town in January, and we were super sad about it. Um, but God is in control. They have the Holy Spirit. And just this week, they said, hey, there's a lot of people here who don't, don't know the Bible and don't Wantikians. know the gospel. Wantikians. They have like a little settlement where they all live. And so they said, we asked them if they wanted to hear the gospel. And they said, yes. And so they said, we're going to build a tarp and we're going to build a little house for you guys to teach in. And so starting tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. with literacy, you guys can pray for that too. Um, starting tomorrow, there's a group of our men believers who are going to start going through the teaching from beginning to end um, and teaching them, you know, what God did, how he sent his son to come mm -hmm. into the world to be our sacrifice, and um, hopefully they will believe in Jesus. And so you guys can be praying for that. Super exciting. Yes. When we thought it was going to be super sad to leave the, for them to leave us, God's doing really big things, so super cool. Yes, and continue to pray for us. We want to see uh, elders raised up here, um, a strong church, and um, we know the job is far from done, but continue to pray for us that we can work ourselves out of a job. And mm -hmm. yeah, just pray for us to continue to, yeah, die to ourselves every day. Um, Jesus didn't consider his divine privileges um, as something to cling to. And so he took the humble form of a slave. I know you guys have been going through that passage. So that's huge. I mean, that's, that's, He's our example, and he's the one that strengthens us with the Holy Spirit to do this job. So please keep praying for us. And 
Yeah, if you want to get involved, please do. I know you as a church have been involved already. You've sent us care packages, and thank you. Some of you have supported us financially too, and that helps us stay here. So if you want to get more involved, um, take our prayer card and, uh, yeah, click on the links up on the back. Um, One of the biggest things is we take breaks every few months, and um, like I already said, that means the helicopter has to come get us. So if you want to get involved and help us stay here and stay healthy and have good rhythms of rest. Um, we would love for you to take part in that blessing of reaching this unreached people group with the gospel. Yeah. Thank you guys Thanks. so much. We love y'all. So awesome. That's Jill and BJ. Uh, We'll have a time here at the end to be able to pray for them and the work that they're doing. And uh, also we have a table. So at the end of service, we have a table right outside here uh, that we'll have some prayer cards for them. The cards they mentioned, you can pick those up and, and know how to best partner with Jill and BJ and the work that they're doing. Uh, next, I wanna invite up Paige. Paige is the area director of Young Life for our entire area in the Woodlands. And, uh, and she is a member here and she wanted to tell you about the work that she gets to be a part of, of reaching... Uh, students with the gospel. And so, Paige, thanks for being here to share about a local opportunity that we can get involved in the mission of God. Yes, my name is Paige Shaver. My husband, Scott, and I are covenant members here at Risen. We have a one-year-old, Charlotte, who a lot of y'all care for her in the back. Um, but I get to be the area director. It's my full-time job. Been here for seven years since we graduated college. God really called us to the teenage population, which can feel like a totally different world. It has its own language. It has its own um, just rhythms and schedules. So we have um, just been here for that amount of time to really understand what they need. When you look around, even here locally, there's churches everywhere, but teenagers are struggling. They are confused by God. They are bored by God. Um, They need someone living out. What does it mean to follow Jesus in their day-to-day life? Their world moves fast. It is busy. There's so much noise. Social media, I mean, I could go on and on. It is tough out there. And so our leaders, our volunteers, Um, come into their world a lot like Jesus did. And talking about Philippians 2, I was like, yes, that is what young life leaders do. They, even though they have their friends, their own age, we have people our age, we come into the teenage world and give of ourselves. We listen to the things that they care about, which, you know, we're like, oh, it's not a big of a deal. They'll get over it. It's like, no, to them, it like matters. Like it is hard out there. There's a lot going on. And we listen and we build friendships and we earn their trust through day in, day out life together in person. And then we get to share the gospel. We, every single week on Mondays, we have outreach events where we talk about Jesus. We go through every semester. You need Jesus. You cannot do life without him. You have sin in your life that you need to repent of, and Jesus died for your sins so you can do life with him forever and go to heaven and have eternal life. And we teach them on Thursdays, we do Bible study, how do you read God's word? It's confusing on your own. How do we do it together? Can we break it down and study it and then teach them the tools of sharing the gospel in their schools with their families as they leave high school? And so it is exciting. It's day in, like I said, day in, day out. Mondays and Thursdays are our days that we gather, but then every day of the week, leaders are in football stands, literally going into stands. Can you imagine doing that? Just like standing there and you're not in high school and just to build that next friendship, make that next connection, show them that we're in their world, that we care about what they care about. 
And so as we've kind of recruited some leaders, I wanted to share a little bit about what this looks like, just one quick story. We have someone who just joined our Young Life team as a volunteer. Her name is Hallie. She's a first-year teacher at the Woodlands High School, a math teacher. Her classroom, y'all, because of her connection to Young Life and the relationship she's built with students, it has become this hub. Like, she knows all of the drama going on, but kids just come in and out of that classroom, just giving her so much that she can pray over them. Um, she just wants to know what's really going on in their life. And she gets to, at Young Life on Mondays and Thursdays, really tell them about Jesus outside of school, gets to really be there for them. And so we've just seen the transformation of a community in a public high school that has a caring adult in their world, that they get to just com- like have this community and have this camaraderie and reach their friends. And more and more people at school are now like, what is Miss H doing on Mondays? What is Young Life? How can I be a part of that? And they have no clue at all what it is, and they're showing up hungry for community, and we know they are really hungry for the Lord. And so as we kind of charge on in Young Life here locally, um, we currently have ministry for the Woodlands High School and for McCullough Junior High, and we are in the process of getting to expand to College Park and to Knox. And so that's what I'm really excited about for this year is hiring another full-time staff person to partner with me to reach this Woodlands, South Montgomery County area. And that's really how we do it is localized by school so that we have this mission where we're going in together. And so if you have any experience with Young Life or no experience at all, we would love you to come and partner with us. And so there's a few ways that you can do that. One is if you want to be a volunteer leader, if you care about teenagers or you just see that there's some time in your week that you want to give, we would love to talk to you about how you could become a leader and join our team in volunteering. But there's a lot of other ways. One is praying, praying for us at 7.33 on Monday nights. We call it Young Life Club on Monday nights and we start at 7.33, but if you wanna set an alarm on your phone, pray for whoever is gonna be sharing the gospel that week, that it would fall on fertile hearts that would receive the good news and and decide to walk with Jesus. And so 7.33 on Mondays, we also have camp in the summer and a lot of kids, even in this area, can't afford to go to camp. And so we are in charge of not only raising our budget locally um, for all of our operating expenses, we raise money for scholarships for kids who can't go to Young Life Camp in the summer. So we would love to um, partner with you financially in asking for some camp scholarship funds and we can give you more information on how to do that. So volunteering, um, giving, praying. And then the last couple of things I want to say, if you have never seen Young Life, don't know what it is, come and see it on a Monday. We meet at Interfaith um, just down the road on Monday nights. And so if you ever want to come beforehand, meet our leadership team, see it um, in person, we would love that. Um, or if you already know what Young Life is, come and see it because it probably has not changed at all since you did it. It's the same games, it's the same songs, it's just, um, it's, it's all the same things that you know and love. And so love for you to come and see it. And lastly, if you know someone who you're like, man, that, I know a teacher at this school, or I know this parent, or um, you know anyone in the community that would be interested in Young Life or leading, please connect them to me. Um, we have so many other ways to partner. And so we made a little flyer in the foyer that has tons of opportunities. And so I'll be standing out there, but would love to um, show you more of what God is doing. And when we participate in his kingdom, it is so life-giving and so amazing to see how kids are really meeting Jesus here in our community. So thank you all so much for this opportunity to share. Thanks, Sean.
much. Thank you, thank you. Um, you stay up here. We're gonna pray real quick. Hey, I'm gonna invite the band back up uh, as we close the service in a song. And for the next few minutes, what I want us to do on Mission Sunday is say, I wanna pray for these couple opportunities collectively as the body of Christ together. Uh, thank you for the work you're doing. That's hard work. That's a big vision and it's a big mission. And um, gosh, just investing in those lives is huge and being able to bring the gospel to bear to these students is wonderful. So Paige and her team, uh, looking to expand to two new schools is a big prayer request. The, the needs that they have as an organization, Jill and BJ gave us some prayer requests that they have. They've got the opportunity for some believers to share the gospel in, in town. They've got uh, literacy classes. They're translating the word. And so uh, both locally here, we're seeing the gospel take root in the lives of students. And globally, we're seeing the, uh, the word of God be translated into a tongue that's never been spoken. And so uh, as the band plays, uh, for the next few moments, would we all just bow our heads and just pray? Uh, pray for these opportunities. Pray that the Lord would speak to you and your heart individually on how you are called to step into the mission of God with these opportunities. Is it here locally to, to talk to Paige and, and leverage the gifts that he's given you to help serve these students that they might come to treasure Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is it with Jill and BJ and the work that they're doing? overseas, translating uh, through prayer and through financial support. Ask the Lord how he's stirring in you. In light of Philippians 2, not to live a life to get, 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 but having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, so that we might be a people to give and give and give, just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you spend a few moments and pray now? Pray for Paige, pray for Jill, pray for BJ, pray for your own hearts and how he's calling you to respond. thank you for this chance to hear of stories of faithful servants of the gospel willing to humble themselves and to move into places that are not prestigious and are not powerful but to go down so that Lord you may be lifted up in the lives of those they're serving I pray for my sister Paige in this wonderful calling you've placed on her life to have students come to know and treasure Jesus that don't know him, that are far from him. Lord, I pray uh, for club. I pray for the opportunities with her leaders and the team that she leads as she's uh, helping them understand the culture of these students in this ever-changing world with so much, so much coming at them. Lord, may they have um, wonderful times of prayer and wonderful opportunities to declare the good news of Jesus so that these students in a world of noise may hear that still small voice and respond and be saved. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, uh, Jill and BJ in Papua New Guinea now, halfway around the world in the bush. It seems so far away. It seems like 
how can we help, Lord? And they just told us. And so, Lord, we pray for them now. I pray for them that they would receive rest and encouragement by your spirit. I know that missionaries all over this globe are exhausted and feel forgotten about. Lord, may that not be their story because of us. May we encourage them with our words, with the care packages that we're gonna send out this week, with our financial support. May we get behind them and the work that they're doing so that it would just be wind in their sails to continue to love and serve a people who have never heard of Jesus. Lord, give them energy and wisdom as they translate the scriptures into a brand new language for these people that it would birth salvation, and you would spring it up from the ground from the work that you're doing as only you can. Lord, you are moving in our midst. Locally, you are moving in our midst. Globally, may we as a people get behind these opportunities to see the gospel go forth so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Church, will you stand and worship?